and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore the eerie history of some long-lost cities that were destroyed by water in what you might call an act of God. But... According to folklore, it was the act of witches, fairies, devils, and if that wasn't enough, some of these lakes are home to Wales's most notorious of lake monsters, the Welsh Nessie, if you will. And so, to begin at the beginning, which on this episode is in the north of Wales at a lake called Llyn Tegid, or as it is known in English, Bala Lake in Gwynedd, which, from a ghosts and folklore point of view, is probably best known for being home to an Avanc monster. And that's Avanc spelt A-F-A-N-C, with the F pronounced as a V in the Welsh language. And the Avanc is a strange creature that is incredibly difficult to describe because there is not one single definitive description out there. And the descriptions we do have vary wildly. They range from some kind of bloodthirsty crocodile dinosaur type monster to a giant beaver. Yes, a giant beaver. I mean, this is from back in the days when beavers were native in Wales. And the good news is they are back. A beaver was spotted in the wild in Wales once more this year. But the Avanc monster was or is a giant beaver or maybe a bloodthirsty crocodile dinosaur. And if I had to encounter one of those, I know which one I'd prefer. But on this episode, I won't really be focusing on the Avanc too much. We can save the Avanc for another day, because on this episode, I want to focus on the creation of the lakes themselves, the lakes in which the Avanc is said to dwell, such as Llyn Tegid, this body of water, which also has a rather strange origin story, the events of which begin nearby to where Llyn Tegid is today, where we are told there was a spring that was walled in and there was a lid on it, a walled-in spring with a lid on top of it, which had to be put on every night and locked for a very important reason. There was an incredibly important reason why that lid had to go back on that spring each and every night. And that was to stop witches and fairies and the devil from disturbing the water. To stop witches, fairies and the devil from messing about in that all-important spring water nearby to where Llyn Tegid is today. And it was a huge responsibility for the person who had to shut and lock that lid each day because who wants witches and devils and fairies messing with their water? Although, quick disclaimer, just like every other time I mention witches on this podcast, this is, of course, old folklore. It's the stereotypical witch, not the lovely witches of today. And in close proximity to this spring, this all-important spring, there was a large and important town. And one night, the keeper of this spring forgot to put the lid on. Yes, forgot to put the lid on. And this really is a case of you had 
one job to do. The man whose job it was to put the lid on that spring forgot to put the lid on, although in his defence, others did say it was the devil that left it open. So whoever you want to blame, maybe it was the forgetful worker himself who started that rumour. No, 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 it wasn't me. I, I didn't leave it open. It was old Nick. That damn Satan coming up here again and opening lids. But whoever you want to believe, the end result is the same. Either way, the damage was done. The waters burst out and overflowed the town, destroying everything before them. The site of the submerged town became Llyn Tegid, and the town underneath it that was about three miles long and one mile wide, this was quite a town, was called Bala, hence the English language name Bala Lake. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking, especially if you live in Bala. There is a town today called Bala. It exists and it is certainly not underwater right now. It's not some kind of Atlantis where Aquaman is swimming about. But folklore tells us that the submerged Bala became known as Old Bala, whereas the current Bala, I guess you could call New Bala. A bit like New York. Well, nothing like New York. But the current Bala is New Bala, but it's just called plain old Bala. Not that there's anything plain about it. It's a lovely, lovely place. And you might also be thinking, well, if it's called Bala Lake because the town underneath it was called Bala, why is the original Welsh name Llyn Tegid? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, actually, I'm not glad you asked because that is one heck of a tangent to be going off on right now. But a very, very short version is that Llyn Tegid is named after Tegid Voil. Now, Llyn is the easy part. Llyn is lake. And Tegid is the first half of Tegid Voil. And Tegid Voil himself isn't so well known nowadays, but his wife is fantastically well known. Tegid Voil was the husband of Caridwen. Now, Caridwen and Tegid, but Caridwen is a character from Welsh mythology. She was an enchantress. She was extremely powerful. She is probably best known for her role in the tale of Taliesin, which I definitely haven't got time to go into right now. That, that would be a tangent off a tangent. But she's best known today as a goddess figure for modern day pagans. And if you'd like to know more about Caridwen, I've recorded a number of episodes about her over the years. And I think Tegid pops up as well occasionally, but feel free to go back and check those out afterwards. But back to this episode, and if you really want to annoy a lake, a nice seamless transition there, but if you really want to annoy a lake, and yes, I did say annoy, A-N-N-O-Y, annoy a lake, well, we are told there used to be a belief in Wales that lakes object to having their depths ascertained, and to quote, Bala Lake Llintegid was one of these. Now, I don't know why exactly lakes had a problem with having their depths asserted. Maybe it's a bit like the way you shouldn't ask people potentially personal questions like how old they are, how much money they make, how much they weigh, who their favourite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle is, I don't know. But the way you shouldn't ask people personal questions, in a way, lakes don't like having people sticking things in them to see how 
deep they are in in a literal sense, of course, not how profound is this lake? Is it a deep thinker? But if I dropped a stone into it, how long would it take to reach the bottom? If I put a stick into it, how long would that stick need to be to scrape the bottom of this lake? Well, two men who clearly wanted to know how deep Llyn Tegid was and either didn't know or didn't care that the lake wasn't into that kind of thing, went into a boat to what was regarded as its deepest part. Although how they knew this was the deepest part, if they were there to try and work out how deep the lake was in the first place, I don't know. Maybe somebody who understands lakes can explain that to me. But they went to what was assumed to be the deepest part, and they ran out plummet and line, with a plummet being a weight at the end of a line, like a fishing line, dropped into the water that is weighed down and heads down towards the bottom. And this weighted line ran and it ran and it ran to an almost endless extent. They discovered that the lake was bottomless because they put that line in and it was weighed down and down and down and down and it did not hit the floor of the lake, although not necessarily because it was literally bottomless, but because, to quote, a terrible cry rent the air, and a voice from the waters cried aloud, Line cannot fathom me. Go, or I will swallow you up. Line cannot fathom me. Go, or I will swallow you up. And since then, no one has dared to sound the lake, which frankly is understandable because who wants to risk being swallowed up by a lake that is also home to a giant monster that might be somewhere between a beaver and a crocodile. Now, as a result, it was said that Llyn Tegid was bottomless. And centuries ago, one expert diver, as they are described, nowadays we might describe them as a foolish diver, but one expert diver tried it, tried to find out if it was bottomless, but was terribly frightened by his experience, like we didn't see that one come in. But what in particular terrified him? Which of these possible things did it? Well, to quote, he asserted that a dragon was coiled up at the bottom of the lake, and if he had not been very careful, the creature would have swallowed him. So we're back to being swallowed. There are so many things in this lake that might swallow you up. If it's not a bottomless pit or a giant beaver, then there's a dragon coiled up and sleeping in the lake, waiting in the darkness. And that is the rather colourful origin of Llyn Tegid. Which brings us to our second lake, which is also, you'll be glad to know, home to an Avanc monster. I don't know if it's the same Avanc monster or if there's two Avanc monsters, one in both lakes. Either way, we are going to ignore it again and focus on its creation. And we are heading south to Banai Brachainiog. Good old Banai Brachainiog. Yes, Banai Brachainiog. And to a lake called Llangos Lake which is popular today with anglers 
and was popular many years ago with far stranger creatures, even stranger than anglers. And it was many, many years ago when it was said to be the site of a sunken city. Or rather, what I should say is the site of a city that has since become sunken. It is now the site of a sunken city. And the inhabitants of this city were incredibly wicked. It was full of wicked people. And the king of that part of Wales sent his ambassador to ascertain whether the rumour was true or not, to find out if they were indeed as wicked as everyone claimed. And he added that if it was well-founded, if his ambassador did discover this place was indeed wicked, he would destroy the place as an example to his other subjects. So there was a lot on the line here with this visit to Llangos Lake. Swift justice would be coming from this particular King of Wales if the people were deemed to be unworthy. Now, I'm not entirely sure how they measured wickedness at the time. That isn't explained. I'm guessing there was some kind of biblical form of morality that was imposed on the people. Maybe this ambassador had a checklist of naughty things that people shouldn't be doing, ticking them off, a bit like St. Peter interviewing people at the gates of heaven with his long list and saying, I'm afraid, you know, I, I can't let you in because of all of this, this cursing and drinking and, and other wicked things. I can't mention on this podcast because it's an all-ages podcast and, and frankly, I don't want to give anyone any wicked ideas. But when the ambassador paid his surprise visit, it was evening and all the inhabitants were enjoying festivities and excesses. As they are described, festivities and excesses, you can use your own imagination there, and not one of them offered the stranger any hospitality. So not a great start. He arrived during a big party. Everyone is having a good time doing all sorts of festive things, excessive things, and whatever they were doing, they were ignoring him. And I'm guessing this was one big cross on that list of things they shouldn't be doing to start with. And seeing the door of a humble cottage that was open, the ambassador entered and he found this place deserted with the exception of a wailing babe in a cradle. So not only were these people being rude, they had also left a baby unattended in the cradle while they got up to their shenanigans. And so the ambassador remained beside the babe and accidentally dropped one of his gloves into the cradle. And there he remained while the parents and everyone else lived it up all over town. So you don't need me to tell you that his visit did not go very well as far as the villagers were concerned. And in the morning before dawn, he took his departure, intending to convey his unpleasant confirmation of the rumours to the king. He had only just left the outskirts of the city when he heard repeated peals of terrible thunder accompanied by groans and shrieks. And no, they were not the groans and shrieks of the non-stop partying, but the ominous groans and the shrieks of pain of a city paying the ultimate price. He hadn't even made it back to the king. He had just left the city and destruction was already raining down. And then he heard 
This sounds like the dashing of waves. Water was coming to wash the face of the earth clean. And it was cold that morning. It was cold towards sunrise. And this ambassador missed his glove. And not only that, it was of great value. So he returned to look for it. Quite a risk, really, heading back towards this city that is being destroyed by waves to find a glove. And when he reached the outskirts of the city, he saw that the houses had vanished and the whole site was covered with water. But as he stood there surveying the scene of destruction, while gazing at the what is described as a lamentable scene, he saw a speck in the centre of the water. And as it was wafted towards him, he recognised the cradle in which he had left his glove. He drew the cradle towards him and brought it up to dry land and then found the babe safe and alive. So the one innocent in the city or the one innocent that we know of, the one innocent it would appear was spared. And the ambassador took the baby to the king who adopted it as the sole survivor of the lost city. Now, punishing people, wicked people, by drowning the entire population might sound a little bit Old Testament. This might sound like the Welsh Sodom and Gomorrah, but this was something of a popular theme in many of these old lake legends. And to wrap up this episode, we are going to look at the origins of one more lake, because a similar story was told of Llyn a Mice, we are told, which is described as a beautiful lake near Trevlin in what was Cardiganshire, so we're heading back northwards again. And its name means, folklore tells us, although you don't need folklore, a straight translation will also tell you this, but its name means the Lake of the Field, which, according to tradition, covers the ancient site of Tregaron, and the people of this old place were very wicked, we are told, and went to excesses in all ways. Now, I have mentioned Tregaron on a previous episode so long ago, I've forgotten which one now, some years ago, but the people there, by all accounts, were indeed wicked, and on this episode, we have some specific examples of their wickedness, because, to quote, most of their time was spent in revelry, feasting, hideous orgies, and incessant forms of every kind of pleasure known in those days. And frankly, if you're spending most of your time in revelry, feasting, and hideous orgies, I don't really know how much time you'd have left for whatever these other incessant forms of pleasure might be. But Tregaron, back in the day, sounds like quite the party place for overindulging in every kind of pleasure known. And we are told that, to quote, many times had the people been warned that the place would be destroyed by fire and flood if they did not cease their wickedness, but they didn't listen. They were too busy with that long list of indulgences, and instead of which they grew worse as the years passed. And one night, when the revelry was at its height, lightning caused a fire to break out, and a flood followed, completely overwhelming the place. Not a person escaped, for those who were not burnt were drowned. 
and that really is the two extremes of the elements. You're being drowned or you're being burnt. Either way, you are not getting out alive. And let that be a warning to anyone thinking of being a little bit wicked this weekend. Maybe you're listening to this on Friday night and you're thinking, do you know what? I quite fancy some revelry and feasting and incessant forms of pleasure. But let it be known that in Tregaron, not a person escaped. For those who were not burnt were drowned. And all that remained was a beautiful lake called Llyn a Mice. And on that cheerful note, so ends another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, the last episode, episode 125, also featured Llangos Lake, if you wanted to check that one out. And of course, if you really liked it, please consider pressing the subscribe button. And you can also support the podcast by treating me to a coffee or treating yourself to some lovely merchandise from my website. If you'd like more Ghosts and Folklore, you can follow me on social media. And as well as this podcast, I've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects which are available from all good bookshops offline and on. And again, you can find a full list of those books on my website. All of which just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amtrando. I've been Mark Reese. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. And remember, if anyone ever does start asking you personal questions like, who is your favourite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? The correct answer is easy to remember because it's exactly the same answer to who is your favourite artist from the High Renaissance. And that, of course, is the person responsible for popularising both mannerism and nunchucks in the Western world, Michael Angelo. Until next time, Nostar. No